All right, well, this morning we are continuing in our um, series on the book of Luke, and we will be in the end of Luke chapter 12, and then, um, Lord willing, this afternoon we will look at the beginning of chapter 13. But today, uh, we are going to start in Luke 12.41. So, if you could turn to Luke 12.41... And we will begin shortly. Um, I want to thank you, as I said, for your continued prayers for my ministry. I am very excited that this Friday I'll be posting my 175th podcast. So that's 175 Straight Fridays that I've been able to uh, come to my audience with encouragement for the Christian life. So very excited that God has allowed that to continue. And then also I can let you know that um, I will be um, I will hopefully starting within about a month and a half um, be the um, Sunday voice for an internet-only radio station called Real Remnant Radio that some friends of mine run, and they they want me to do the Sundays. So that will involve doing some pre-recorded um, breaks for the radio station. So I'm looking forward to broadening my ministry that way, and I would pray for your con- cover your continued prayers uh, as I seek to do that and encourage even more people, possibly even worldwide, because it is internet-based. So that's exciting. Um, Alright, well, today we are going to uh, continue kind of in all, along the lines of what we were talking about um, last time. Jesus has a lot of long discourses. Um, and we know that, uh, he would, last time we were talking about, um, make sure, okay, last time we were, we were talking about being ready We've talked a little bit about being ready for Jesus' return. So let's start out by reading Luke 12, 41 to 48. And our first point, uh, Jesus talks about being faithful, looking for his return. So Luke 12, 41 says this. Then Peter said unto him, Lord... Speaketh thou, speakest thou this parable to us, or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if the servants say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the, the men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink and be drunken, then the Lord of the servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers." And that servant, which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew that, and did commit things worthy of stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes. But he that knew not, and did commit things worthy of stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given of him, shall much be required. And to whom... 
and to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. And I, I have to um, admit that as I was preparing for this uh, sermon, I was uh, a little bit, um, that this is, that this is some tough stuff to read, and I trust that as I have studied, um, God has given some wisdom. I would definitely appreciate any thoughts afterwards as to these verses, um, because um, they are not the simplest, but God tells us uh, that as we grow and mature in the gospel, that we should be eating meat, that uh, we should be past the milk stage, and so I trust that as we uh, open his word that he will grant us um, the ability to to see what it is that he wants us um, to learn. So before we uh, dig in, let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is clear and true and that we can trust it. We pray that you would um, bless your word to us and that uh, you would be honored and glorified by what is shared here today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so looking at these first few verses, Peter is talking about um, the parable that Jesus shared that we talked about last time um, about being prepared for a wedding. And we, we talked about how that the servants are blessed if they're watching. And uh, so Jesus has continued... Uh, or, so Peter is saying, um, do you speak this parable to us or do you, do you speak it to everyone? And I think that gives some clarification to the verses that follow. Because when, when I first read this, I was kind of confused because uh, as we know from other portions of Scripture, if someone is a believer, if they have truly trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior then they are God's servant. They have eternal life, and it won't be taken away. Um, but I think in a lot of ways, as we approach this portion, uh, Jesus is using um, the, the term servant in a way to include all humanity. Because every human that is on the earth is on the earth and breathing air because of God's mercy. That doesn't mean that we are all God's children, but God did make us all, and he gives us mercies every day. It says in Jeremiah that it is of God's mercy that we are not consumed every day. And so, so I, I think um, as we approach this, that, that is the understanding uh, that I have of um, the beginning of this. And so, with that in mind, we read verse 43, and it says, Blessed is the servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find him so doing. And what is he so doing? He is faithful and wise, and he has been given responsibility. Every one of us has responsibilities toward the Lord. I have a responsibility toward the Lord to preach the Word of God. If you're a father, you have a responsibility toward the Lord to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If you are a mother, you have a responsibility to raise your children to love and honor the Lord. If you are a grandfather, you have a responsibility toward the next generation. As an uncle, I have a responsibility to share Christ with the next generation. 
These are, these are responsibilities that we have. And he says, um, he talks about this faithful steward who will um, give, who will, who will guard and, and lead his own household. Um, and then he talks about the reward that will come with it. And he says, Blessed is this servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing, um, being a wise and faithful steward. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him a ruler over all that he hath. And I think sometimes in our, in our lives today, we don't see much past this world. And we say to ourselves, we have it pretty good here. But we don't realize that God has called us to be priests and kings. According to Revelation, we are all priests and kings to our God, and we will, if we trust Him, we will reign with Him. So this life is merely a preparation for the life to come. And uh, so Jesus is dealing with this. But then he says, But and if my servant say in his heart, My Lord, delay of this coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and the maidens, and to eat and drink, and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And um, when I think of this, I think of that other parable that, that Jesus had where he talked about the lending of a vineyard. And he said, he said that, he, that he gave these... Um, these people, the vineyard to take care of, to, to run, maybe even to get a little bit of profit off of. But then he comes and he says, I'm going to take possession of my vineyard. And he sends his servant. And they beat up the servant and they send him back. So he sends another servant and they beat that servant and send him back. So finally he says, I'm going to send my son, surely... They will listen to my son. And those people who were in the vineyard, they said, this is the son, this is the heir, let's kill him and take the land. And so that's what he decided, they decide to do and they kill him. And of course Jesus was very much talking about the response of his people to his prophets who were rejected and killed. And then Jesus came and they killed him. Peter said it this way. He said, you have killed the prince of life. And so... Um, these are not pleasant verses to read. And then it goes on and it says in verse 47, And the servant, servant which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes, for unto whomsoever much is given of him shall much be required and to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. Now again, I approach these verses carefully. But after much thought and prayer, I think of it this way. There are many people today, and I don't want to get into detail, but there are many people today who claim to be preachers of the word of God. But they don't preach the whole truth. I'm here to tell you, half a truth is a whole lie. And there are preachers 
that the world would have some degree of respect for that claim to speak for God, but at the end of the day, God is going to, at the very least, punish them severely. I think that some of them may get to heaven by the skin of their teeth. But if we lead people astray, we will pay for it. And there will be some who believe they are speaking for God who will find their portion with the unbelievers. Because the Bible says there's only one way, one truth, one life. And that's through Jesus Christ. And I think that gives further meaning to verse 47, because for the servant that knows the Lord's will and doesn't preach the full gospel or doesn't do the right thing when they know it, they will be punished more severely than someone who was led astray by their teaching. Yes, God's mercy is for everyone, and we are all equal in the sight of God, but I think it is clear here that God will have some specific punishments for certain people. To whom much is given, much shall be required. And to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. If you are given a responsibility, whether it be to the church, whether it be to your children, whoever your responsibility is to, God takes that seriously. It's a sacred charge. And we must realize that. If we can look at 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter four, verse ten. If somebody could read that. So this is just a passage in 1 Peter 4.10 that is underscoring the fact that if God gives you a gift and a calling, He expects you to use it. Remember the parable of the talents. The one who had ten went and made it twenty. The one who had five went and made it ten. The one who had one buried it in the ground. Because he was afraid. and didn't do anything with it. God gives us a calling. And we will not be happy. We will not be fulfilled until we do that calling. I have personal experience in this. When I uh, got out of high school, at the time I got out of high school, my... I had my life all planned out, as high schoolers often do. And I said, you know, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to become a disc jockey. I'm going to work as a disc jockey for 20 to 30 years. Then I'm going to go to seminary. And I'm going to um, become a pastor. And I'm going to leave radio to become a pastor. And that's what I what I was gonna do when I got out of high school and God started to work in my life and he said, I want you to do some of these things, but I want you to do them in the way I want you to do them. It was about that time 
when I was approaching the end of high school that my family started attending the assemblies and really began to get a different vision for how God intended for the Word of God to be taught and learned and used. And so my vision changed. And then seven years later when I graduated from college, my main goal was, hey, I'm going to get done with college. I'm going to find a full-time job so that I can buy a house and raise a family to glorify God. And none of that's wrong. But, again, God worked with me. And again, he showed me that, hey, I have a calling on your life. And my dad began to speak into my life, especially those last two years of college. And he said, Andrew, I think God has a calling on your life and a message that you need to share. You need to submit to him and see what he has for you in in ministry. Because I really believe this about you. And I was resisting. But my dad kept patiently talking to me. And then some other friends came in into my life around that time and said, you know, you really need to, to just trust God. Go into ministry. Stop dreaming about what you're going to do and do it. And so God allowed me to begin the journey almost six and a half years ago of speaking for him. And the opportunities that I've had since I officially surrendered to God in ministry have been amazing. I'm still imperfect. I still have a long way to go, but God is faithful. And I would encourage you to use the gifts that God has given you. And, but I would also say to you that in order to have gifts from God, you must be indwelt by God. See, I began to receive spiritual gifts when at the age of five I was indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God on the day that I was redeemed by Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 says that on the day that I trusted Christ, that I was sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so, if that has not happened for you yet, you cannot experience what I am talking about. A life insurance leaflet contains the following. A father and a girl of 10 years, both good swimmers, entered the waters of the Atlantic at a New Jersey seashore resort a few summers ago. When some distance from the shore, they became separated and the father realized they were being carried out to sea by the tide. He called out to his daughter, Mary, I am going to shore for help. If you get tired, turn on your back. You can float all day on your back. I'll come back for you. Before long, many surgers in boats were scurrying over the face of the water, hunting for one small girl, while hundreds of people to whom the news had spread waited anxiously on shore. It was four hours before they found her far from land. She was calmly floating on her back and not at all frightened. Cheers and tears of joy and relief greeted the rescuers with their precious burden as they came to land. The child took it calmly. She said, He said he would come for me and that I could float all day. So I swam and floated because I knew he would come. May such faith in our Heavenly Father sustain us in those hours in which we must swim and float and wait. 
So basically, this morning already we have talked about two different types of people. The ones that wait with anticipation for God and the ones that will have much to dread. And uh, I hope that you will be among those who wait with joyful anticipation rather than the ones who wait with dread. For our passage as we go on this morning is not getting any brighter. For our next point, point two, Jesus is going to talk about the coming judgment. Luke 12:49 Luke 12:49 to 53 I am come to send fire on the earth and what will I if it already be kindled but I have a baptism to be baptized with and how am I straightened till it be accomplished suppose ye that I am come to give peace on the earth I tell you nay for from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided. Three against two, and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, and the son against the father. The mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother. The mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So, we see um, Jesus beginning to set the stage for the fact that he has come to judge the world. One of the most popular verses for people to quote, especially in this day and age of tolerance for everything but Christianity, is Matthew 7, verse 1 which says, Judge not, that ye be not judged. But let's take a moment before we go back to our main text and look a little further into that chapter. Matthew Ah... <laughs> uh, Anyway, as you go through Matthew chapter 7, I'll just put it this way, because I can't find the exact verse I was looking for. But Jesus goes through this, ver this, this Matthew chapter 7, and he actually, instead of telling us to never judge, he in fact tells us how to judge. Because he says, you will know them by their fruits. So this idea that we're not to judge people is the wrong idea. In fact, Jesus wasn't saying, don't judge people. He was saying, be prepared to be judged yourself. Have a right relationship with me so that when people judge you, they will judge rightly. See, if my friends have their house on fire and I want to just be their friends and I don't tell them about the fire, they could die. Or at the very least, lose their house. It's kind of like the parents who tell their child that he can't have ice cream as a main course? Do they do it because they don't love their kid? No. They do it because they do love him and they want him to be healthy. We say a lot that God is love and surely he is. 
But here's the other side of God that people don't like to preach about, don't like to talk about. Jesus says, I'm come to send fire on the earth. And he basically says, it's already kindled because it's coming. And then he says this, but I have a baptism to be baptized with and how shall I be straightened till it be accomplished? What was that? Remember when James and John's mother came before Jesus with them by her side and said, can my sons sit at your right and your left? And Jesus said, can you drink the cup that I will drink? And they said, Yes, Lord. And he said, you don't know what you're saying. Why? Because Jesus was going to take the fire on himself, on the cross. He was going to bridge the gap between our sin and heaven. He's going to take our sin away so that we could go to heaven. And then he says, Suppose ye that I come to give peace on the earth. And he says, Nay, I tell you, but rather division. Isn't that the truth? People can talk about God all they want, but you start talking about Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and there will be division. Even non-Christians say things like God bless America. I don't want to get extremely political here, but I am very blessed. I feel very blessed that right now as we are approaching a presidential election that there are at least three candidates that unashamedly name the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And there was a question asked of a recent presidential debate of one of those candidates, and it said, there was this news article that called you a Savior. What do you have to say about that? And he said, there's only one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, And I was so glad that that went out on national television. Now what will the viewers do with it? I don't know. But the truth was proclaimed. And that's what I am here to do today is to proclaim the truth. I don't know what you're going to do with it. I hope that you will take it seriously. Because no amount of good that you or I do can outweigh the bad of our sin. Even if I consciously tried to be good, I would arrive at the end of the day most likely having committed sins that I don't even know about. And even if I only committed one sin a day, that would still be 365, or in this leap year, 366 sins in a year for which I myself cannot atone. So as we talk about this judgment, may we think of it seriously. And then he goes on and he talks about how his name and his love and the people who love him and how they will be divided from their families. My father has a twin brother. And usually twins are among the closest siblings. At least twins I know. They're often, they often 
hang out with each other, sometimes go to college together, just do all kinds of stuff together. But my uncle, who's my father's twin brother, does not know the Lord. And it's a grief of mine and heart to my father. And to me. And my family. That this one who is supposed to be our brother and our uncle. Close relative. We have so many people that we know that we aren't even related to. That we are closer to than him. Because he does not share the most important thing. The bond of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now he could. Because the Bible says that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. And that you'll be passed from death to life. In a microsecond. If you make that decision. But at this point he does not. And it hurts. And anytime you try to. Talk to him about it. It turns into a debate. So it's going to take somebody else. Outside of this family. Or perhaps. Even. Just God. Working. On his heart. Personally. To reach into that cold heart. And to jump start it for the Lord. I believe. That can happen. But I urge you to take seriously the fact that this God who is love, His love was shown on the cross because we deserve judgment. And for those who do not accept it, it will be judgment. John 19 verse 30 tells us some of the greatest news ever about the judgment that we deserve. This is after Jesus has hung on the cross for about three hours. He's done everything that God asked him to do. He was obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And here's what he says, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And bowed his head and gave up the ghost. As one hymn that we sing often says, done is the work that saves. I pray today that you will accept him. Here's a little story that will kind of show you the futility of works. Imagine you are speeding along 30 miles over the speed limit. The police pull pull you over and begin to write out a ticket when you suddenly cry out, Hold on, officer. I think you ought to know that I mowed my neighbor's lawn this morning. And not only that, I helped an old lady cross the road. Well, I didn't know that, said the policeman. Why didn't you say so in the first place? That's two good deeds and one bad deed. I guess I better go. How likely is that to happen? Not very. The policeman doesn't care which laws you've kept. He's still going to book you for the one you haven't. God does not care about the laws you kept. He cares about the sins you've committed. And he has the remedy for those sins. Not only does he offer you a gift, but he paid for the gift. Not only does he say, I want you with me, but when you don't have the strength to get to him, he comes to you. Romans 5 says, Oh, we are yet without strength in due time. Christ died for the ungodly. We sometimes think that we have the strength. 
And he says, no, but I do. So the third point, as we finish this morning, is to be prepared for His coming. Luke 12, 54 to 59. Luke 12, 54 to 39. Here we go. And he said also to the people, When ye see a cloud rise out of the west, straightway ye say, There cometh a shower, and so it is. And when ye see the south, see the south wind blow, ye say, There will be heat, and it cometh to pass. Ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that ye do not discern this time? Yet any... And even of yourselves, judge ye not what is right? When thou goest with thine adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest deliver from him, lest he hail thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and the officer cast you in prison. I tell thee, thou shalt not depart thence, till thou hast paid the very last At this point, if you are not a believer, if you haven't trusted Jesus Christ to take away your sin, Christ is your judge. And he will judge every sin you've committed. A lot of people say, well, I just want to be judged on my own merit. You know, those people are going to get exactly what they want. Problem is, I have no merit. To be judged on my deeds would be a very scary prospect indeed. But the Bible says that my sins, my evil deeds are cast as far away as the east is from the west. And when God looks at me, he looks at me through the scars on his son. Someday we're going to look at his scars too. And we're going to be so grateful to have the fact that he has given us his scars. So are you going to agree with the judge that you are a sinner so that he can become your advocate? My prayer is that that would be the truth in your life. John 7, verse 24. Oh, this is is the verse I was thinking about earlier. I was thinking Matthew, but it's right here in John. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. So, does that mean not to judge? No. It means to judge according to the standard that God has put in place. And in a world and in a country where people want to put, to get, put away moral absolutes, this is what God calls us to. He calls us to judge according to righteous judgment and to stand for truth. And I pray that I would do that until my dying breath. Truth may become outdated to some, but it doesn't make it any less true. And the Bible said it would happen. The Bible said perilous times will come when men will be lovers of themselves, haters of their parents, haters of any sort of authority, and that is where we are. We have more people 
on government assistance than ever before. Why is that? Because the church fell down. Stopped taking care of people. And the government said, we'll come in and pick up the slack. And the people have gotten lazier and lazier and said, give me whatever you can give me. I want, I want, I want. Instead of what Jesus said when he said, I gave, I gave, I gave. And as you have received, freely give. The Christian's life should be about giving. The world is about getting. And of course, the most important thing we could give is the gospel of Jesus Christ. To give people hope for a future. John was the chauffeur of a Christian whom God had prospered and he was a faithful witness for Christ. Often he would have talked with John about his soul, the necessity of accepting Christ and being ready for what lay beyond this life. One day, telling his chauffeur the blessed hope of the Lord's return, he said to him, John, when the Lord comes, you may have my cars. This evoked from John a polite and very joyous expression of gratitude. And Johnny added, you and your wife can come live in our nice, large house. Again, John responded with a very fervent, thank you, sir. His master told him he could have all the money and property he possessed when the Lord Jesus came. Overjoyed, John returned to his cottage and told his wife what the master had said. Both were elated at the prospect, but had not considered the implications. John went to bed, but could not sleep. In the middle of the night, he made his way to his master's house and knocked loudly till his master came and asked who was there. It's me, John. Your chauffeur, was the reply from the other side of the locked door. What's the matter, John? Why have you come at this time of night? Oh, sir, said the chauffeur, I don't want your car. Don't want my car, John, why not? Asked his master. Nor your house, nor your money, nor your property, added John. Well, John, said the master, what is it that you do want? I want to be saved, to be ready, like you, for the coming of the Lord. Nothing makes me happier than to hear stories of life's changed by the word of the living God. We all have nice possessions. Even the poorest among us here this morning have more than most of the world. And there's nothing wrong with having nice things. When when Jesus told the rich man to sell all he had, he wasn't issuing a proclamation that every Christian should live in poverty to be a good Christian. But what he was saying is this, that what you have, give to others. One of the things he says was, give to him that asketh of you. Often we loan things to other people and then we expect them back and we have tension in our relationship until loans are paid back. But I've been convicted that when people ask me for a loan, I should give it as a gift. And if they decide to repay it, that's great. But if they don't, then it's a gift and I don't have to worry about it. Because God gave it to me. To give to others. Now I I admit that I have to get better at that. But I hope that as we. Look at this. That we will realize that all the cars. All the riches. All the stuff of life. Will not matter one iota. When we get to heaven.
There's a famous saying that you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. And the stuff that we have, even if we are alive, constantly gets older, needs to be replaced. I've had, I think, seven or eight electric wheelchairs in my life. I, I couldn't still drive the one that I had when I was five. I, I, the ones that I had when I was a teenager are obsolete. They wouldn't work. Why? Because things have to be replaced. They don't last. But the one thing that does last is your eternal soul. Your soul is eternal. You are made to be an eternal being and you will be an eternal being either in heaven or in hell. And my, my exhortation to you is to choose heaven and to choose it today. Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity to be before you, to learn from your word, to finish this 12th chapter of Luke. Lord, we, we thank you for what we have learned so far in this, in this detailed letter of Dr. Luke. And we pray that you would continue to bless us as we meet after lunch and in the months to come as we continue on this journey. Lord, we, we sang earlier this morning, tell me the story of Jesus. And truly that is the story we are learning about and we thank you for it. We thank you for his example. We thank you that he was not afraid to speak of judgment, but we also thank you that as he spoke of judgment, he also spoke of the solution. He spoke of the mercy that is found at the cross. Now I pray that you would go with each of us, that you would have your face shine upon us, that you would give us peace as we trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Absolutely.